Episode 263, Cloak and Dagger, Season 1, Episode 7, Lotus Eaters. Welcome to Level 7. A podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Hello and welcome to another episode of Welcome to Level 7, a podcast about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Sometimes that's a movie, like our last episode, which was Ant-Man and the Wasp. Sometimes it's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is the bulk of episodes, because that's what got us doing this podcast. And sometimes it's Cloak and Dagger, a cable teen romance superhero show that probably shouldn't be as good as it is. Maybe Amen. <laughs> I mean, this is a really good show. So I'm Ben, Ben Avery, and that person you just heard is... Samantha. And we are here to talk about Cloak and Dagger. And yeah, uh, Samantha, are you still surprised at how good this show is? Yes. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I, I'm just astounded by the show and and maybe i shouldn't be anymore i mean we're, we're at the point probably where we should just be saying yeah it's good it's really good because that's what it's been since the beginning uh kind of like some of the netflix series where we just be like yep it's still good <laughs> still really good uh i feel like we're in that that point here where it just started strong and now we're in the middle episodes and it's still going strong yes um which may be actually Maybe it's because it's a 10 episode season and um, that and it's in a summer show. So maybe that gave them time to actually go through and sit down and take the time to write out the episodes and think out how are we going to shoot these episodes and um, how do we make these stories meaningful that people can relate to. Yeah, every once in a while, I'll I'll watch something or see something that makes me jealous because, you know, as a creative type person myself, I'll see something like, ah, oh, I wish I had been able to do that first or, oh, I wish I was a part of that. And that's what it is with this with Cloak and Dagger here is, man, wouldn't it be just so much fun, uh, even if you weren't part of the actual like writing team to, I don't know, be delivering coffee to the writing team and be able to <laughs> hear the writer's room. You know, I mean, this just... Uh, to be an intern on the wall, so to speak, of of this writer's room, man, it, it, it's just, I mean, we're already gushing, I guess, and, and maybe we need to to pull back the gushing until we talk about the episode a little bit, but it's too, too late for that now. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> the gushing has happened. And once once you let the genie out of the bottle, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Yeah. So Speaking of Netflix. Yes. So like I said, 10 episode season. We're on episode seven now. That means three more episodes until the season finale of Cloak and Dagger. Yes. And that means about four episodes from now, we are going to start Defenders. It's true. It's true. Unless we find some sort of special thing that we have to do. But there's, yeah. we don't have a movie coming until, I believe, March now. Yes. Um, uh, on the NCU. Yeah, uh, Captain Marvel isn't released until March 8th. Oh, wait, um, Venom is being released. Was it March 5th? No, or, Venom is October 5th. Is it October 5th? It's before Halloween. I know, I knew that. Yes. But um, you're right. We do have Venom. And yeah, I, 
Is it MCU? I'm guessing yeah. probably not for this one when we play everyone's favorite game show. Is it MCU? Um, I, I'm guessing probably not, but I, I'm very curious because we have, there are four Spider-Man universe movies that don't have Spider-Man in them that are on the slate. There's, there's Morbius, there's uh, Venom, there's um, Black and Sable. I think that's what they're going to call it. Uh, or Silver and Sil- Sable or something like that. Uh, no, the character is Silver Sable. So yeah, Black Cat, Silver Sable, whatever they're going to call it. Um, and then, oh, what was the fourth one? I can't remember that now. Oh, but it does remind me of another movie that we have in December. Uh, and it's not Aquaman. <laughs> Although we may do an Aquaman episode. I, uh, we, we just may do it because it's Aquaman. But um, uh, Spider-Man, uh, the animated Spider-Man movie. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be doing something with that. So I need to put that on my whiteboard. Yes, it, it must go up. That, that looks yes. really, really good. And every trailer I've seen has just made me a little bit more interested in, in what they're doing with it. But, you know, parallel universes and that sort of thing, uh, those are fun. Those are, those are fun things to do. And they're kind of diving into the whole mythology of all the different Spider-Mans and the different universes. And I think there's opportunity to be really, really cool. Yeah. So there is that. That that will get an episode. But yes, um, from here on to for the for the near future, it's going to be Netflix, Netflix, Netflix. It's going to get dark. <laughs> it it is it is. And yeah. You know that's something I appreciate about the Cloak and Dagger here is that it gets yeah. it gets dark, uh, but at the same time there is a lightness to it that comes from the the friendship the relationship that we were getting here yeah uh which in this episode we're getting relationship um yeah. they're 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 clearly there's they're developing a closeness that goes beyond just hey we're friends and it's getting in more into hey let's talk late night on the phone and i had flashbacks to when my wife and i were dating and i was in california and she was in indiana and you know doing it wasn't late night for me and I think I've mentioned this before, but my wife is a early bird who wakes up early, goes to bed early, and I'm the late, the night owl. So I stay up late and want to sleep in. Work doesn't always let me. But um, so she would stay up really late so that she could talk to me on the phone for an hour or two uh, while I'm after I got done with classes in California. And with the time change, it was really difficult for her. But we were in love and we were young and. And so she she stayed up late for me. So, okay. you know, the sacrifices you make. But that that phone call yeah. at the end of this episode reminded me of, of those those late night phone calls. And uh, purposefully, I mean, th- this is them. They're they're developing that re- romance that Romeo and Juliet that they were talking about before. I don't think we really saw much of it until now. And unless I'm just missing it. Am I missing it? <laughs> No, and I appreciate that they're taking their time to develop that relationship between um, Tyrone and Tandy. Because if you recall Romeo and Juliet, I think the entire play takes place in under a week. <laughs> well, you know, it was a different time uh, or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, but the other thing, though, if you think about it, I mean, their relationship starts out. Well, if you go all the way to their childhood, it's different, but them meeting each other in, in this um, time period, their relationship starts out and, and she's stealing from him 
And, you know, they they don't exactly start off, you know, love at first sight. It's kind of confusion and a little bit of anger at first sight. And then we're in the same boat together. Circumstances are bringing us together. And then now they've actually helped each other and they've actually um, been positive influences on each other, I think. Yeah, I have to agree. And and the great thing about this, because we were talking about Netflix being dark and this has a lot of light in it. I mean, that's the entire point of the show is that's that this, true. <laughs> this balance of light and dark. That's that's true. Or this or a balance of opposites working together um, to, I don't know, bring balance to the force. I don't know. <laughs> it's it, well, it's to do something. I mean, there's the whole divine pairing that we've we've talked about now. And this is possibly the divine pairing. Um more than likely, I would assume that we are we're looking at the divine pairing. We may not be. It may be something different than what we're expecting. But um, before we get much further into the episode, as we talk about this, um, I, I do want to mention that our post credit for this episode. Sometimes it's a long conversation. Sometimes it's something completely ridiculous or goofy. Um, sometimes it's you know just whatever uh but this time specifically it's going to be um ant-man and the wasp feedback and so um if you have not seen ant-man and the wasp then definitely uh turn turn this podcast off when you get to the end credits there but uh for right now this is uh what we're doing and so you you really should be seeing ant-man and the wasp i i think uh, Stuart and I covered it that we, we really liked it. Uh, Samantha, without spoiling anything specific, um, Ant-Man and the Wasp, do you recommend it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. I, I recommended it to somebody the other day and he was like, oh, I don't know. Is it going to mess things up with um, Infinity War? And I said, no, it's not. As a matter of fact, you need to see this because it's probably going to inform the next Avengers movie. Maybe. Somehow. Well, um, and we were expecting that too. I mean, yeah. that's, that's something that, uh, those of us who are like spending so much time diving into this stuff, that's, that's what we were expecting. And, you know, but I would say the casual fan who you know, maybe even hasn't, haven't, hasn't seen Infinity War, I think would still enjoy Ant-Man and the Wasp. You don't need to have seen Infinity War. You do need to have seen Ant-Man and yes. it would be helpful if you've seen Civil War. So yes. just throwing that out there for you. But, um, yeah. So that's what our post credit is going to be. And now it's time for us to talk about Lotus Eaters. And uh, yes, the title, Lotus Eaters, um, takes me back to not just high school, but to when I was teaching high school and teaching the Odyssey. And when I taught the Odyssey, I, I used to use um, the book. Obviously, <laughs> we have the literature book that we're using. But then I also show them, uh, uh, Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Uh, which is a retelling of the Odyssey, and we would do comparison contrast stuff, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And I, I love that movie, and just talking about it right now makes me think I just want to watch it right now because it's just a great, great movie. And I haven't seen it honestly, probably yeah, thirteen, fourteen years. I, I don't think I've seen it since I taught it. But it's as yeah. good as you remember. Oh, I I have no doubt about that. I've seen it. Yeah. Um, well, cause I was using it in my classroom. I've, I've seen it probably, uh, upwards of 12 or 13 times just because I watched it a few times cause I really liked it. I watched it a few times to get my lessons ready. And then I watched it actually in class with my, my students. So, 
That's actually low compared to some movies I've seen. <laughs> well, that's that's true, but yeah. when you consider what a just an oddball thing it is, I saw it in the theater. It was really funny because the people we saw it with either really loved it or just hated it, and it, ten, it actually for that particular group it was right down gender lines. Um, my wife not a fan. Um, one of the women we were with was angry that we made her sit through that movie. Um, but the other guys I was with, we just really, really enjoyed it and yeah, just went from there. But, uh, yeah. So the Lotus Eaters actually is a reference to, uh, to the Odyssey and to, um, this, this, uh, Island that has these the Lotus things and you eat that food and it just makes you want to stay there and not want anything else. And yeah, so that's, the idea behind the title, but you were bringing up, um, before we, before we started recording, you mentioned something and I said, stop talking so we can talk about it when we're recording. So, um, you wanted to talk a little bit more about the Lotus eaters, I think. Yes. The, uh, Lotus plant, the fruit and the flowers there have this narcotic property. And I think it's based on a real plant. Um, and according to, the trivia uh, for this episode on IMDb. So, you know, who knows if this is accurate <laughs> or not. <laughs> um, I, I found that most of this stuff is pretty accurate, but it's not always 100%. Anyways, um, it says when Alexander the Great conquered a new area of known, unknown culture and people, he would distribute wines laced with the lotus narcotic to make the people whom were conquered into mindless accepting masses to subjugate and install them, uh, to install in them the values of his Greek cultures. This way, it, it was much easier to add the new ideas of the Greeks without much without further fight. And that really ties into what's going on um, in in the MCU um, New Orleans right now with mm-hmm. rocks on. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, more specifically to, uh, Tyrone and Tandy is the idea that the Lotus when, because the Odyssey is all about wanting to get home. Yeah. And, and so when they get to this Island and the sailors eat the Lotus and they don't want to leave, they, they don't want to go home anymore. And of course, uh, Odysseus, you know, he, he knows, I mean, he, he wants to go home he's, he's the great big hero guy, but, um, he has to force them back onto the boats and he's it's, it's Tandy, you know, in this episode who just doesn't want to actually go home because she has this thing here that is, you know, a a pale um, imitation of what reality would be, but it's, it's good enough for her in that moment. And, and so that's the Lotus idea. It's like, I'm wondering if they started with the idea of the Lotus and and went from there or if they wrote the whole thing and then re- were like, hey, you know, it'd be a good literary uh, title to, to give this uh, Lotus Eaters. Yeah. And it's not just in reference to her desires to kind of not be where she is. I mean, there's also the whole theme of uh, drug use. She uses drugs. There's drug issues that they're dealing with within the show. Um, it's true. Drug, uh, drugs are her yeah, escape. Or, yeah. And Dwayne. Dwayne was distributing narcotics. Connors was involved with that distribution. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And then there's also the, I, I, um, 
the use of money can sometimes convince people to keep their mouths shut um, and just go along with things. Um, there's different ways you can look at at this analogy yeah. and how it relates to the show. One interesting thing I just thought about when you're talking about her, uh, her drug use is in previous episodes when she would put on that black hoodie, mm-hmm. that was kind of a, a signal that she was going to start doing some drugs. And she's going to pop some pills or something like that. But in this one, I think this is kind of showing how Tyrone is becoming a positive influencer and a positive force in her life. She puts on the black hoodie, but then ends up taking a call from him and and staying on the phone with him and doesn't do the escape into the drugs. Mm. Um, because she's escaping into adventure. Yeah, she's escaping. <laughs> well, uh, yes, but she's also escaping uh, into that relationship. I mean, there, yeah. and that's that's an interesting. I, I hadn't thought about that until you brought up the her her own drug use. So the the episode itself, um, I I wish we had Stuart here because this episode is a Star Trek episode, and and it's a Star Trek episode for three different reasons. Reason number one, literary illusion in the title. And that is classic star Wars trope or star Trek trope where, you know, there's, there's some sort of, you know, they're they're using a line from Shakespeare or they're referencing something in, in the title of the star Trek episode. So that's, that's reason number one, reason number two, it's a bottle episode. I mean, this all (laughs) takes place in technically, I guess there's three locations uh, then there's, I guess there's the outdoor location too, but they spend a lot of time on the oil rig in just a couple different locations inside the, the oil rig. And the third one is the Groundhog Day trope, which we've talked about this before uh, because it's happened before in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But it's that idea of repeating the day over and over and over again or repeating a moment in time over and over and over again until you get it right. And so Groundhog Day, it happens. There's a handful of Star Trek episodes where it's happened. It happens in Doctor Who. It happens in, um, I know it happens in Buffy, even though I haven't seen it, but um, I've read about it happening in Buffy. Uh, it is a sci-fi trip. Well, Stargate, I think, did four or five episodes where it's like that, where they're, they're uh, you know, repeating the day over and over again. And, um, and that's what we're getting here. And, and Stuart... I wish you were here for us to do a, a, a Star Trek, Star Trek talk. Um, even in the new Star Trek, Star Trek Discovery, there's a, an episode where they use this not for the full episode, but as a storytelling device uh, that I'm not going to spoil in case you haven't seen Star Trek Discovery. But I still haven't. Is that, well, is that more? Groundhog Day or more Rashomon, where they're showing it from different perspectives? No, definitely Groundhog Day. Um, but it's, it's not the focus of the episode. It's actually a piece of tech that a character uses, um, to get the episode going. And I I don't want to say more than that just because it's a, it's a unique way that they used it, even though they're using the trope. Um, it's just kind of funny because it's, it's not the focus of the episode. It's the thing that gets us to the focus of the episode. And it's, it's almost a joke, almost, um, yeah, so so we have it here, and it is very, uh, 
it's tragic almost what's what's happening here. But um, yeah, we've got uh, our cold open, and it's it's dad. It's 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 Doctor Hess or Mister Hess, the Mud Man. Um, he is getting ready for work as his young daughter Mina, as a child, is working with her easy bake oven oven that she referenced in last episode. And they have a discussion about magic being science. We don't understand. And then um, she gives him a cookie because she finally cracked the perfect cookie and it has a secret ingredient that he has to figure out what that secret ingredient is. And so the uh, Chekhov's uh, Chekhov's cookie goes up on the wall. Uh, Dad goes to work. It's at the oil rig. uh, Finds out the conductive shielding tiles never came. That's always a bad thing. Uh, I mean, you and I both know this, Samantha. If the conductive shielding tiles don't come, you might you might as well just shut down. But they they don't, and so he demands Nathan Bowen. And there's a song that's playing, which um, is appropriate. Um, they're talking about um, the having a house of aluminum and then they're going to have cinnamon and um, there, there's these references to things that are kind of what we're we have in this episode here. Um, and then we come out of the flashback and there's dad in his chair in the hospital humming that song. So seemingly the flashback was memory, but not really because what, it, what it actually is, is the lead up to the loop that we're going to get into momentarily. So that's uh, our, our cold open. Oh. Did you notice that? Um, oh gosh, Ivan's daughter, Mina. Uh, Mina. Uh, she um, sort of enacts the uh, Arthur C. Clarke's first law of science fiction. Uh, the first law of science fiction. Yeah, his first science fiction law, because he has those three laws about science fiction. The the uh, science is. Or magic yeah. is science we just don't understand? Uh, no, because we've she... recently referenced his third law Oh, okay. a lot about technology. Is so in, what's, what's his first uh, law? Uh, when a distinguished but elderly scientist states that, something seem- that s- states that something is possible, he is almost certainly right. When he states that something is impossible, he is probably wrong. Hmm. Um, and she says in the cold open in this flashback memory um, that magic is impossible or that it doesn't exist. What, what does and he say? She, well, she says that magic doesn't exist and in a way we can see she is a scientist. So she's saying that it's impossible. It doesn't exist. And she's wrong. We know it's, she's wrong because we have cloak and dagger. We have, Tyrone well, but it's Andy. But I think that that's actually referencing the the magic is is technology we don't understand or science that we don't understand because that's what he starts to say that and gets interrupted because uh, okay. he he starts to go into that again which you know and they they've got to do it it's the Marvel MCU you know it that's that's one of the things they hang their universe on is yes we have Doctor Strange and we have Thor. And we have this voodoo lady. It's all just science we don't understand. Yeah. And then then also, um, you know, like so many things, when you have all these philosophical laws, uh, they're also interconnected in different ways. 
Yeah. Well, and it's, yeah, we, we've got in this episode, we have them entering her father's mind. You know, I mean, there's, what's that look like? Uh, it, it looks like magic, you know? Yeah. It, um, yeah. Oh, and for anyone who's curious about what the second law is, it, it says, the only way of discovering the limits of the possible is to venture a little way past them into the impossible. So what's the impossible in this episode? It's going into somebody's mind. Yeah. And, and they do that. And spending time there and and making camp. And yeah, it's there. <laughs> it, yeah. But we'll, well, OK, well, let's just get into it. OK. Yeah. So in in act one, um. Tyrone and Tandy talk about what happened with Dwayne and how Dwayne got killed. Uh, and then Tandy says, well, I, I know that's bad and it, and it is, it is very bad. Um, but I need, I need your help. And so she convinces him to go, they go to Hess. They're going to touch him. They both touch him and they end up, uh, at that hatch door that had the, the smoke stuff there, the, the, darkness and because he's there they're able to open the door enter the door they're on the oil rig and they're attacked by uh oil rig worker zombies and they get through them and they find ivan hess and there he is he is going to um well we'll, we'll get to it but that's act one um and the one thing I really liked that I put down already in this act, not knowing they were going to literally uh, portray this. Um, Tandy says, our failures are the steps we climb. And then T Tyrone says to what? And she's like, I don't know, but um, I, that's something I think that's something people need to hear uh, that, you know, your failures are not the end. Uh, they're, they're actually steps toward the end. And, you know, even when you fail bad, you, you can learn from that and move, from, move on from that. But then literally this episode is about failing to stop the explosion over and over and over again. But then finally getting to the point where they're able to change things, change things, change things enough that they can, they can do it. And the, the things that they're changing are their mindsets and, and also Ivan's mindset as well. Um, to try things out and to do things, but yeah, our failures are the steps we climb to unknown <laughs> to something. Yeah. That's yeah. uh, kind of ends up being the theme, almost the, the mission statement for, for this episode. Yeah. Uh, so what do you think about her <laughs> basically manipulating him into doing this so quickly? Uh, I think he better get used to it. <laughs> well, this yeah. seems like something that's just going to keep happening. It's, I don't think it's the first time she's done this to him. So. Well, it's definitely not going to be the, the last. I, I, I think you're right. I mean, this is kind of her thing right now is to, uh, manipulate and, but I just, I felt, well, that's a little inappropriate, you know, like, He's in the middle of mourning, not just the loss of someone who, yeah, he thought it was his friend 
and turns out that there's something darker behind this guy. But he's not only mourning that, he's also mourning the loss of someone who can actually say, you're not crazy. Your brother was shot by a cop who does exist. Like he's not this, you know, invisible thing that no one ever has seen before. He's a real guy. By the way, can you help me out? I need you to do something for me right this minute. (laughs) Well, I think that both of their goals are interconnected and both of their problems are interconnected because it all seems to lead back to Roxanne and this, um, this oil rig explosion. Definitely the moment. And I think us looking from the outside in, it's definitely, there's going to be some form of connection. How deep the connection goes, I don't know, but I, I I don't know if they think it, uh, think like that. Maybe, Maybe they do. Maybe they do because they're, they're definitely that moment, that explosion changed both their lives um, at the same time. And then they brought them, it brought them together. So, yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're just going to have to patiently wait and see. Yeah. Well, three yeah. more episodes. Hopefully we'll have more information. I, I, I do hope they wrap things up. Not necessarily everything, but at least give us enough answers that we know what they're headed toward. Um, by the time we get to episode 10. Yeah, because I'd like to see season two, three, four, you know, how many uh, seasons that they are planning to shoot. I want to see those seasons too. I, mean, I want to see as many seasons as they can do if they keep up this level of quality. But I also, I like it when we don't just get uh, question, 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 and then no answers until season five, episode 10, you know, the, yeah. the very last episode. I like it when we get fed answers and, and then get new mysteries. Yeah. Like, okay. So we know that Connors exists. We know he has something to do with, um, Billy's death and, and, um, the ongoing drug issues within new Orleans, you know, what else is going on here? Yeah. Yeah. Bring it out tease it out yeah you got a couple episodes to still tease it out but um i guess i would just like to see a conclusion of some sort in the last episode of the season and not just a cliffhanger oh i'm sure we will i'm sure somehow like one one question i have had is um oh i can't remember his name right now but the when we see the older Tandy for the first time and she meets that guy in the bar and she tries, tries to seduce him. Oh yeah. 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 The, the dude bro. Yeah. Uh, he mentioned something about his uncle was on the board of police. I want to know who his his uncle is because I'm certain that this uncle is somehow connected to Connors. Yeah, that's right. I remember you, you, you had that theory a while, a while ago. Um, yeah, I, I'm curious. We haven't come back to that guy very much. He, no, I don't think we've come back to him since what episode two or three. Yeah. We came back to him with, uh, O'Reilly, not O'Brien. Um, when she was asking him his source. Yes, I think. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's more to that guy. Not, not that he's a deep character, but there's more, uh, going on there that they, they, they do tease. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess we'll just have to wait and see on that. Just have to wait and see. So act two 
is where we kind of figure out what's going on in Hess's mind. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know his own name. He's like, you must be special because you guys have names. And he doesn't know where he is. We're here. That's where we are. Um, which it's true. I mean, you are where you are. You I mean, remember, no matter where you go, there you are, as Buck Rubans, I said. Um, hmm. And then they ask, you know, well, where are we? And he, he says, we're halfway to the end of everything, all reality. And it's impossible to stop the explosion. And in my notes, I wrote, I wrote, I get the impression he's gone through this before. Well, little do I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He has not just gone through this before. He's gone through this like many, many, many times, perhaps a thousand more. Um, we get, I mean, Tandy's in there for just a few minutes and she goes through it dozens of times enough that she's almost forgetting who Tyrone is. Um, and this guy's been going through this for eight years, replaying the same two and a half minutes or so uh, over and over and over and over. And he explains to them how they can stop the explosion, which is to um, open the valves, the, the, the pressure valves. And they try and they're fighting down the hall and, and then boom, fade to white. And we cycle through again and they find out that the materials that they're drilling into connects people to their fears and he calls these people the the uh, oil rig worker zombies. He calls them terrors. And then we also find out that part of the cycle is an angry guy on the phone. And the angry guy on the phone is Nathan Bowen. And I, yeah. I can only imagine, you know, just the the possibility of yeah, that's my dad on the phone, and he's been dead. I could talk to him. I could hear his voice again. So she picks up the phone and he answers her and talks to her, not like he's talking to uh, Hess, but like he's talking to his daughter. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, because in a way, I mean, they're inside of Hess's head in his mind, but uh, the characters seen within um, seem to have their own personalities and are sort of they act independently of him almost well they they act like they they act like how he would expect them to act uh, i think sure. that this but you're right i mean he has created this reality of these people so when tyrone later on goes into the control room there's two people who are just doing their thing and having their own conversation uh, about uh, Ivan Hess. They call him the mud man. And I think it's it's him kind of creating what he thinks they would be doing, I guess. And, and when Tandy answers, this is where Ivan must know deep down who he is. Because he knows deep down who Tandy is. Because mm -hmm. the way that... Uh, that Nathan responds when, when Nathan talks to her because he's creating that conversation. Though I've wondered if perhaps in a way, the reason why Hess doesn't remember who he is and why he's there and what's going on is because he doesn't want to face what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. And that's why he's in a catatonic state is because he's in a state of shock that his, his mind does not want to deal with it. 
yeah, the, the tragedy of it. Yes, because um, he's he's directly involved. He's in in the collapse of or the uh, the chain of events that caused the the um, oil rig to explode. It, it's almost like a, a self imposed um, purgatory. Yes. Yeah, where he's created his purgatory, he's going to <laughs> relive this explosion over and over and over again. He's not going to go past that explosion. Yeah, because like you said, uh, he doesn't want to face the consequences of what happens afterward. So yeah. the explosion happens and he just goes right back to that moment. Yeah. <laughs> and it's to the point that he's kind of flippant about the entire event. Uh, there's these terrors going on around him. Clacks and alarms, explosions. There's a guy on the phone, and he doesn't want to deal with any of it. So he's he's just involved in this baseball game where they're in this nine hundred something and something inning, or I forget the name, the number of the inning. But it's, yeah, it's in, yeah. I think it's in the thousands even. Yeah, um, I, I think that what it is is um, in his catatonic state. He's I think I might be wrong, and I'd have to rewatch this to see, but. I it's whatever game is on TV at the time for him, like in the real world. I think he might be keeping score and just adding as if it's one long game. Oh, <laughs> I, I don't know okay. if that's actually what's happening there, uh, but that's, that's kind of the impression that I was getting. They don't state it outright. So I don't know if that's actually what, what they're trying to imply there, but that's what I thought was going on. Okay. Cause when they go through the cycle again, he has to go and get the paper out and put the score back on there. And um, he's drawing like the the baseball diamond and, and putting the figures on the baseball diamond on this paper. But since it all resets, he has to go and do it again. And he adds to it as he does it again. Oh, yeah, that's right. OK, I haven't ha been I wasn't able to study this episode the way I, I usually do um, for <laughs> one of these recordings. Because yeah. my life is busy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. That's what he was doing. He, was, he just kept adding the score. Yeah. So the, this act here, act three, is when we're getting into this, the, the actual loop for our main characters, not just for, for Ivan. So Tandy's talking to her dad saying, I miss you, and cycles through again. And, and this is where Tyrone says, we need to shut off the valves. We need to get everyone out of here. That's how we can break the loop, wake up the guy. And Tandy's like, yeah, absolutely. Eventually. And so then she doesn't go with him. And he goes down, tries to do it. Uh, it looks like he does what he needs to do, but the explosion still happens. And meanwhile, she's having another conversation with, with her dad. And we cycle through again. It's not working. And she's like, no, I just want to talk to my dad. And so this is where she tricks him again. And he's like, let's just let go. Let's just let go. We can't, we can't fix this. We can't stop this. So he pulls away and he's out, but Tandy stays in and he can't pull her away from his hand, from, from Tess's hand. So he goes back in. He was only out for a couple minutes, but she doesn't remember him. And she has gone through this a lot because just like Hess, She's got it memorized, what's going to happen. And she's just kind of flippantly just going through the motions of killing whatever zombie is going to come through that door. As he comes through the door without even looking, she just throws a dart and then answers the phone. Yeah. 
I almost um, I thought about going through and um, trying to figure out how many billions or trillions <laughs> or how many times that Hess has played the scenario out in his head because I was able to catch that um, the segment of time that he uh, was living through was about three minutes, 45 seconds, give or take a second. And we get to this point where Ty is out of Hess's head. Nick jumps back in and um, Tandy has already forgotten him. So clearly, and, and she's, she's comfortable with the routine of this whole segment. So clearly time does not run at the same rate in the real world as it does in Hess's head. So I, I realized I really could not calculate exactly how many times Hess has gone through this segment. Well, yeah. And, but even if it was in real time, eight years of three minutes and 45 seconds over and over again, that's a lot. But I think he said something like they asked him how many times he's done this. And I think I might be wrong, but I think he said something like, um, I tried to count, but after you get into, I don't know if it's the, over 100,000. Yeah. Then yeah. your mind starts to go to mush or something like that. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of, it's, he's been through this scenario a lot to the point where he has nicknames for all of the different zombie workers. Um, there's Flamehead or something like that. I can't remember the names of the people, but, um, Monsieur Flambe, Flambe who yes, that's, <laughs> has been cooked well done. Yes. And uh, French is fun. We, we, <laughs> that was kind of funny to me anyway. So, um, yeah, so she's been through it a lot. And so then in act four is where the big conflict comes. And that's Tyrone trying to convince Tandy, get out of there. It's not real. And she wants to stay because it's not real. Because in there, she has everything. And what is everything? Well, it's, it's, it's her dad. And he's, <laughs> this is where he says, you're stuck in the mind of an insane catatonic mud man. And everything I said about that sentence is just so weird. Um, but then she just says, what I remember of my life, it was horrible. I was homeless, aimless, fatherless, and friendless. And they fight. And they actually use their powers against each other. And they pull out the emotional stops. Uh, you know, what would your, what would your dad actually think? If, if he saw you here and she says, well, you would stay for your brother, right? Just to hear your brother's voice again. And this is where we get the trick. Tyrone tells Tandy, ask him a question with an answer. Hess wouldn't know. And so she picks up the phone, asks her dad, who's in the back of your car? And he says, nobody, but we all know that Tandy's actually in the back of the car. We all know that, but Hess does not know that. And there's an explosion. And this is my one complaint that I'm going to make for this episode. This explosion sucks. This, the explosion that that happens, it's terrible when they show the explosion. When they just fade to white, I loved it. Then they started adding the explosion effect. And it was was bad. Bad CGI. It reminded me of season two of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when they're jumping into the plane the explosion behind them. So my one complaint, I'll stop now. I won't complain anymore because honestly, this is a really, really good episode. Yeah. Yeah. And plus you got to also remember, uh, the type of CGI 
uh, and the quality CGI you have is um, equitable to how much money you put into it. Right. Yeah. Although I guess you could make the excuse, and this is the the no prize in universe excuse. It looks bad because it's not real. It looks True. bad because it's Hess's imagination of the explosion. True. So that's the the, the no prize. If, if people don't know, it's not just a thing we made up for this podcast. We absolutely stole it from Marvel, but that's why we did it. It was, it was Marvel that did the no prize. But if you find a mistake in comic books from in Marvel comic books back in the day, and you wrote a letter in to Marvel and said, I found this mistake. But then if you create a reason for that to not be a mistake, so like in one panel, Spider-Man's hands aren't red, they're blue. And and you're able to come up with a, a in-universe reason, a story reason, not just the mistake was made because people weren't paying attention. Then they would send you what was called a no prize. And it was actually an envelope with nothing in it. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, which is awesome. But that's my no prize explanation here of why the explosion doesn't look good. So what do you think about the, the uh, conflict we have here? I mean, there, there's, there's violence happening. I mean, she is throwing darts at him and he is teleporting away from those darts. Yeah. Um, I, I noticed. Okay. So earlier in the season, we established that Tandy lies a lot and Tyrone is so honest to a fault. Mm-hmm. Well, that he, it, it's, it, he's honest to a fault. Um, but what she does here is she manipulates him with a lie and then Tyrone manip- manipulates her back with the truth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, and I, and that, yeah, definitely plays to who these people are and what they, what they've done to survive. You know, he, this is what he learned. His family has taught him the importance and value of honesty. She has learned you survive by whatever it takes. And a lot of time that that's deceit. Um, but yeah, I, the other thing I noticed is Tyrone's powers when they're used in battle, they're defensive. It's escaping. It's dodging. And Tandy's powers when used in battle are offensive. It's shooting yes. and throwing darts. And Again, that kind of, I think, plays into just their their personality types. And, you know, for him, it's avoiding. And for her, it's just tackling straight on. And that's one of the things she is teaching him that's positive is tackle your problems straight on. Don't don't avoid your problems. Deal with them. And I'm glad that they're able to pull things out like that, that allow us to have her be a positive influence on him and not just him being the positive influence on her. And so she's the bad girl and he's the guy who brings her around. No, they're, they're helping each other grow in a positive way. Yes. Um, and I mean, that's, that's how this like yin yang type, um, relationship works. Um, one's not making the other better. They're, you know, what each person contributes to this relationship helps the other 
And that's a good relationship yes. is where it's not just one person constantly giving or one person constantly taking or one person giving while the other person is taking constantly. It's, it's give and take it's help. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned earlier about my wife and I kind of being opposites as far as, you know, early bird night owl, that kind of thing. But, um, that's one of the things I appreciate most about my wife is that, uh, she in a lot of ways is a yin to be me being a yang, but she also, um, brings out the best in me, even when, um, sometimes the best isn't at the top, you know, it's, she does that. And, and I'm absolutely a better person because of her. And I, I hope she's a better person because of me. Um, I mean, she's been with me for 20 some years. So it's 21, not just 20 some, but I, I do know how long I've been married. So, um, I was but, about to say, I know you had your anniversary <laughs> recently. <laughs> yeah. The, the star Wars anniversary. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, I got to make up for that one. But if only it had been Ant-Man and the Wasp, I think she would have liked that one. <sighs> yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. I think she would have liked that one. Yeah. Oh, I, I know she would have, cause she likes, she likes comedies, but she also likes, you know, adventure. That's not star Wars. So. Yeah, I think she would have, but uh, maybe not. She would appreciate well, the humor a lot more anyway. Yeah. So. And, uh, this has happened to me a lot in the past week, but what I really appreciated about Ant-Man and the Wasp is you have a problem and you're trying to solve the problem, but something ha- happens to prevent you from solving the problem. And you're trying to work through that, whatever secondary problem is, and you're trying to work forward towards to completing the first problem and the second problem. And then the third problem pops up and, yeah. I mean, it was, it was like this domino effect of really, really unfortunate events. <laughs> so you're, what, what you're wishing though, is that you could have superpowers as well, you know, so that as these things happen, you'd at least have fun shrinking and growing while you're dealing with them. Like that's, I've no, had, I've, I've had a couple things this week where I have been like, if I could just shrink, <laughs> If I, uh, but I've also had some moments where I I've set ant traps and I'm like hoping these ants die that have infiltrated our, our home. But yeah, so I, I, I don't think Scott and I would get along. Yeah. He wouldn't let me borrow the suit. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, you could always ask him, Hey, could you get the ants out of my house? That's true. If he was <laughs> real, I, I wouldn't have to set the traps. You're right. I would just say, Hey dude, I got this problem. Can you talk to the ants? Explain to them. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> All it's right. better than an exterminator because you don't have to kill them. It's true because the guy you can just, just ask them to move. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, you, you want to talk about sci-fi. Oh, wait, wait, wait. We, I, I, I don't want to. Can't spoil Ant-Man. Not here. Not now. Technically, I could based on our, po- our policy, but we're not. We're not going to do that. Uh, okay. So in Act 5, it's Tandy's turn. Tyrone has worked with Tandy to get her to be willing to leave the loop. Now it's Tandy's turn to convince Hess to get out of the loop. So she makes the appeal. Now girl needs her father. She's trying to get him to remember who he was. Uh, The phone rings and she hangs it up. And as she's doing this, he's, he's, he's slowly coming around. I, I vaguely understand what you're trying to do. But then what really gets her out, gets him out of it is the secret ingredient in the cookie. 
Chekhov's cookie comes off the shelf and the cookie gets used and it's cardamom, which sounds to me like something that Ash should be collecting as he's making his way from gym to gym collecting Pokemon. But um, cardamom is a spice. It's actually supposed to be really healthy for you. Um, Actually, I have never heard of that before this episode. Neither have I, but I looked it up and and that's what I learned is that it's actually supposed to be really healthy, healthy for you. Um, Okay. So it's going to be the new fad superfood. Probably it it may be, it may have already gone through a cycle as a fad superfood, but um, yeah, it's, (laughs) it's uh, one of those things where, yeah, mix it in your drink and it's going to make it healthy for you or put it in cookies. Uh, so they have to convince him to do the valves. That's what they're hoping is that if you, if, if it's this guy who does it, if it's Hess who does it, he will release himself. And so they finally convince him with the, the spice. And then he goes through and, um, gives the best compliment Tandy could ever get. You are your father's daughter. She says, I know they cycle through, they fight through the halls and it's not Netflix defenders level hall scene fight way uh, that we get. Uh, it's not even a shield fight scene where we get awesome moves from, uh, from Daisy, but uh, they get through the hallway using their powers. And then there's um, the valves. They take care of the valves or the explosion and they're back in the hotel room, but he doesn't know them when they're back in the hotel, in the, in the, not the hotel room, the hospital room, the but hospital, he, yeah. he doesn't know them. Um, but he asks for his daughter and Mina gets there and through it all, this is where, um, especially when he says you are your father's daughter and, and she smiles and says, I know this is where I, if you haven't listened to the Ant-Man and the Wasp episode yet, I teased that, um, I got emotional. Someone was maybe chopping onions nearby. Uh, my eyeballs started to sweat a little bit and I'm not lying. I got, I got choked up and I had, uh, uh, not actual tears, but tears working their way to form. Uh, enough to to come out of my eyeballs. It didn't quite get there. The tears did not make it away from my eyelids. But um, yeah, it, it, it choked me up a little bit. This was emotional for me. And it was not just a, oh, that's nice emotional feeling. It actually was, um, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, eyeball sweat. It, it happened. <laughs> it happened. So that's two Marvel things in a row that got me to have feelings. And that's a good thing. I'm I'm just going to say that I think that's a good thing. Okay, good. Yeah. I'm not, I'm sure certain that there are other hosts of the show who may tease you for that, but no, I'm not going to do that. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah. It's a healthy thing. Hell yeah. I, I, we're not gonna, we're not we're not here to psychoanalyze me. Um, we've had 260 episodes where probably <laughs> I could be psychoanalyzed uh, if you take the sum total of all the things that we've talked about and, and you know so, seeing some of the things that we you know dive into. Um, but in this case, the emotional response I think came from that this is quality filmmaking and character building and world building, and I was on the emotional ride with Tandy in this episode and, and it worked. 
It worked. Did its job. Uh, which art, I believe, the, the, the one job for art is to connect um, between artist and, and consumer or between artists and consumers and consumers themselves of that art um, get connected as well by art. And that art, that connection is informational or emotional. Um, there's, there's other things as well, but those are the two, two biggest ones. And so the emotional connection might be a laugh or it might be tears in your eyes, or it might be anger, or it might be tension, but that's, that's that emotional connection. And, and in this case, it, it worked. It worked for me. I've heard that elsewhere, too, in art history, too. So, um, yeah, I have to agree. That, that's what makes good art is an emotional connection. So here is where in my notes I wrote, failure was the steps they climbed. And then they find themselves home. She puts on her sweatshirt on the sweatshirt that she found after the accident. He goes through a box and there's a, the ballet shoe. That's her ballet shoe. Uh, those, the two pieces that they took with them after the accident that connect them to each other. Uh, but then he also finds a micro tape recorder and he calls her. And why does he call her? Because she'd understand. And this is where we get that scene that we talked about at the beginning of the episode. Um, and she says, well, play it. And so he plays his brother's voice. And then afterwards, she says, play it again. And he plays it again. And you get the impression that they are going to be on the phone for a while. And that is the end of that episode. I think a lot of us out there have some sort of recording of somebody who's passed away. Like on my cell phone, uh, I still have a voice message from my grandmother and she passed away about a year and a half ago, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And I keep it on there because on occasion, I just want to hear her voice. Hmm. Yeah, well, and you remember he had said – earlier when she says, wouldn't you want to hear your brother's voice again? And he says, I can't even remember his voice. Yeah. Well, then he finds this, you know, and, but what's interesting is, um, you know, it's, it's his brother from, from then. And so she also gets to hear Tyrone's voice when he was, you know, six or seven and she teases him and, Again, it's it's that nice, hey, starting a, a relationship phone call. Yeah. Well, any other thoughts? Uh, we do have a couple pieces of feedback uh, for about this episode and about the last episode. you have any other thoughts here before we move on to that? Uh, no, I'm ready to hear some feedback. All right. So our first uh, uh, feedback is from Agent Casey. And he has actually uh, been on – well, not – I think he's been on this podcast, but I, I also think he's been on the um, – the uh, welcome to the infinity initiative podcast that we did where we're oh, going through all the yes. movies. Um, but he's been on with Stuart. He's a friend of Stuart's. And so subject is cloak and dagger episode six message. Hey guys, I often want to send in feedback, but I rarely get the chance. Stuart has been encouraged me to send it in. However, instead of just texting him. So <laughs> yay, Stuart. Anyway, just a couple thoughts I had on episode six. After watching the latest episode and listening to the podcast, I began to wonder about the possible connection between cloak and dagger and runaways. Mina mentions drilling for something better than oil, 
something that burns hotter, making it sound like this will be a much better energy source. Could this be the same thing underground in Runaways? Uh, then he also mentions um, something possibly in uh, Netflix Defenders. He says, I don't know if any of them are related in that way, but it would still make sense that hashtag it's all connected. Also, you were pondering about Tandy popping Stan's tire and how hard it would be with a walking stick or umbrella. I just wanted to throw out there that as I was watching it, I assumed because it wasn't shown that she would use one of her light daggers to do it. Lastly, obviously the divine pairing thing is supposed to make us think of cloak and dagger as the pair. But when the auntie mentions that one will die, it reminded me that I had put Avita on death watch a couple episodes ago when she was, uh, when she let Ty know she, that he had powers. It would be very MCU for the prophecy to not be what it looks like on the surface. That's all I got for now. Peace out later. Bye. Agent Casey. <gasps> Avita on death watch. I didn't think about that. And now you won't be able to stop thinking about no, that. No, I won't. <laughs> Thank you, Casey. And I, you know, I, honestly, I'd like to hear Casey come back. Yes. Yeah, so so we, should, we should invite him back sometime. <laughs> well, we that's, uh, I think that's Stuart's responsibility here. Okay. Although you kind of just did. So. If well, you listen, I mean, I'm sure he's going to listen to this. So that's an official, probably an official um, invite. And, you know, we do have the Defenders coming up where we do some rotating host things. So, oh, yeah. True, true. yeah. Uh, Agent Tim on Facebook sent us a direct message that said, regarding Star Wars prophecy pre the new movies, Anakin actually brought balance as he is the one who physically took out the Emperor because we were talking about how was it possible that Anakin brought balance to the force because it's actually Luke who does what brings balance to the force. And we're talking about prophecies sounding like they're saying one thing when they actually mean something else. So then Tim goes on to say, all Luke did was get the stuffings not uh, shocked out of him and he would have been a goner, but Anakin saw his son getting tortured to death and took up Palpatine. So yeah, at least for that time there was balance, I guess new movies though, are kind of doing their own thing. So who knows what, anything means now then he says i agree with you guys on the second after credit oh that's that's uh sorry that's the ant-man and the wasp that's credit i better not talk about that that is yeah so then we also have agent 084 writing in again with feedback about uh cloak and dagger episode 1.7 and partly 1.6 message agent or agent episode six was great I was just too busy to find time to send feedback on that in case you were going crazy waiting for that, which I'm sure you were. I thought the theme of Funhouse Mirrors and the characters not only dealing with distorted versions of themselves, but going undercover as other distorted versions of themselves was clever writing. And Mina is a very intriguing character. She can stay. I do think Ivan and Nathan were a previous divine pairing of New Orleans. But I don't think they would have had powers like Tyrone and Tandy. They protected the city with their knowledge, while our protagonists seem destined to protect it with their newfound abilities. With that out of the way, on to episode seven, and wow, I'm pumped. Here's all the reasons why. Cloak and Dagger, in action, together, at last. I can die happy now. It was so great and so satisfying to get that scene. While I feel the previous six episodes of Build Up helped to create that satisfaction, I'm a little sad we only have three left. 
I'm sure it's going to be a hell of a ride for those three episodes, though. I'm glad they were able to get Ivan out of that catatonic state, although there was music in the hospital hallway that made it sound like a flatlining heart rate monitor and troubled me for a second. I doubt their job helping him is over, though. Something tells me that the only thing keeping Roxxon from cutting that loose was his catatonia. Now that he's back to consciousness, I'd be very wary of any water cooler delivery people. Just saying. Mm-hmm. I know bottle episodes get a bad rap for being an attempt to save budget. But with this and self-control on Marvel's TV resume, I think it's clear they know how to do them well and deliver intriguing storylines in a contained space. Tandy's arc was heartbreaking. Who's to say we wouldn't have done the same thing as her to lose your parent and then lose everything else from that point on. Then to have the opportunity to talk to them over and over again, even in a manufactured fashion like that. I think there's a lot of us who had fallen into that trap and Ty trying his hardest to fight the zombie workers and turn those valves on his own while Tandy gives into temptation again and again, made it all the more troubling, even though, even if he was a badass in that scene. Was Tandy's request for Ty to play the recording of his brother again related to her insistence on answering her dad's call over and over? I wonder how many times she asked him to play it after the episode was done. Last thought to end my ramblings is I hope the time in Ivan's head and their abilities improving so much transfers into real life. Tyrone did say his teleporting was a lot easier there, but after they gave us a taste of the two of them at full strength, kicking all of that ass, I'd be cheated if Tyrone went back to not being able to control his power or if Tandy couldn't throw her knives anymore. That's it. Hope you guys have a great week. And I agree 100%. Yes, we have seen them in action. I want to see them in action some more. Yes, I agree. And oh, man. Oh, wait for you have put out so much to comment on. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, there. I don't think there's enough time. <laughs> tonight to get through all of it <laughs> and to fully discuss all everything that you have said. But yes, I agree. Well, I mean, you. the good thing is and, by reading it, it's been said. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, now Ivan's on death watch. <laughs> uh, um, I don't know. We got a lot of people on death watch here now. So, I mean, Dwayne didn't even have time to get on death watch and he got killed. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. So I do also want to thank, um, uh, Agent Kraut from Germany. Uh, he gave us a five star iTunes review in Germany on iTunes there, uh, with a title of Germany loves them agents too. And, um, and normally we don't read, uh, the uh, reviews that get left for us unless it's a negative review that has something that we can address or talk about, which we've, we've had happen a couple times, but I did want to read his cause it's really interesting to me just to hear, um, his, his backstory and some of that. So I'm going to read, uh, I shouldn't say his, it, it, this could be uh, a woman, but, um, Agent Kraut says, as a, as a big Marvel fan, but not that into comic book stuff as I grew up in East Germany without access to these kinds of kids entertainment, I connected with these things by watching 90s TV shows like Amazing Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends, you know, the series with Iceman and Firestar. Since the millennium, things worked out for comic books with the Nolan Batman, uh, Sony's first Spider-Man and Fox's X-Men hitting it. Um, only being crushed by 2008, only being crushed in 2008 by Iron Man and the following MCU buildup. Since then, I'm on it with you and watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. since season one. 
I managed to use my English knowledge to experience even the Winter Soldier arc in the correct order, with movie and episodes in order. For all English-speaking and understanding people out there, this podcast brings you all the greatest insights on the series, connections, and that's, that's the, the praise part. That um, Listening to the discussions and brainstormings and backstories from comics makes me love this universe and my decision to get into it even more. Hope the agents continue delivering great TV moments and stories and the podcasters from Level 7 review it from their different points of view. And with the fan-based speculations, I love to hear every week. Keep up the great work. Um, and if you want some more insights from good old Europe, besides the UK guys, and as a not English native speaker, I'm right here for you, Agent Kraut. So um, I just found that interesting just to get his uh, perspective or her perspective um, just on following Marvel and 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 that um, in a a, a cultural context very different from our own so i do want to also thank you uh agent kraut for giving us that review and, and giving us the stars and yeah expanding uh expanding our footprint i guess Dankeschön. yeah thank you very much so yeah that's it except for two bits about um ant-man and wasp that will be after the credits uh so uh, any any final words uh, Samantha, about about this episode before we, we close this thing down? Oh, I would love to give a special Dankeschön to um, our Patreon patrons, uh, Andrew, Jeffrey, Trent, and Tassel. Thank you very much. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I just have to say, here we are. We've got this show, Cloak and Dagger. We're surprised by I mean, when I think about Cloak and Dagger, all I can say is, my word, something new, something delightfully, incredibly, wonderfully new. What a time to be alive. Thanks once more for listening. You've heard us. Now we'd love to hear from you. Just go to welcometolevel7.com slash feedback to contact us through our website. You can also leave us a voicemail by calling one seventy seven fifty five level 7 You can also join the conversation by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash welcometolevel7, or by following us on Twitter, where we are level7pod. Welcome to Level 7 is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to help you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast, get productive in your personal and professional life, theorize over TV shows, laugh at our clean comedy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more. All right, Samantha, you ready for some uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp feedback? Yes. All right. So this is uh, Agent Tim again. I agree with you guys on the second after credit scene being kind of chilling. The TV playing what I assumed was the emergency broadcast system juxtaposed with <laughs> the the ant going through Scott's routine. Uh, also, I got to watch it again as I almost thought I heard faint chaos from out the window. I will keep you posted. And I'm... I'm very curious about that. If, if there was anything, I don't think there's anything heard out the window. Um, but 
yeah, I, I do want to watch Ant-Man and the Wasp again. I'm just not sure when I'll get a chance to. Okay. Of course, that faint chaos could have been something coming from the next theater. So That's also true. <laughs> That's very true. But it, it's also possible that there was something going on outside. And we just don't know. Yeah, yeah. So. All right. Agent 084 wrote in about Ant-Man and the Wasp. And he says, it's wonderful think. Ah, sorry, it's wonderful to think the MCU has given us 20 movies. That's something we as fans should be eternally grateful for. And to think 30 is only a handful of years away is unfathomable. This was a super fun movie that had me cracking up the whole time and even choked up at certain points. It was a little weird that through all the emotions the characters went through, the movie lacked a true character arc for anyone, really. But it's also weird that the movie was so fun and heartfelt that I didn't even really care about that. Hannah John Kamen did great, and the writers gave us one of those intriguing antagonists that makes us wonder if we wouldn't do the same thing if we were if we were put into those situations. Is it weird that she looks so much like John Hannah and even has his name inside her name? I thought it was weird. I thought this movie did the best job with mid and post credit scenes in a long time. I honestly get annoyed with funny post credits that don't give us something for the future, like seeing the Grandmaster stumble out of an escape pod without seeing the Collector show up to tease us about them teaming up later. That was a sore spot for me. The post credit here had a joke in the spotlight, but I love the atmosphere around the joke, the empty apartment, the TV. It gave us the first sense of the world after the snap and man, it was dark. I love the mid credit as well with the big tie in, not to mention the setup for Scott to get into infinity war. Janet might as well have winked at the camera after she said time vortex. I wouldn't be surprised to see him show up in a captain Marvel credit scene before we see both of them. In Avengers 4. That should be fun. I did think the timing was odd. Aliens attacked Earth and Iron Man disappeared, what, two days ago at most? And instead of Scott, who isn't on house arrest at that point, like Nat said, suiting up to get help, he's instead like, LOLs, let's go up on the roof and do quantum stuff instead. That was weird to me after I thought about it. I loved how Hope owned every situation she was in, showing just how capable she is. Without Scott around to mess things up, these movies would have been so boring because Hope would just win. Movie over in 20 minutes. The only time our female protagonist was bested is in the case of a more formidable female villain, and I thought that was important. I'm hoping if there's a third movie in this franchise, it's just plain called The Wasp, with Scott as a supporting character. I like Janet, too. She might have been the biggest comic character whose rights aren't owned by Disney that hadn't been on the big screen yet. I just wish we could have gotten a scene with her kicking some microscopic butt in the quantum realm using that staff, which was made of her wings. Awesome. I also love how there's apparently a Sephora somewhere in the quantum realm where she was able to keep her skin cared for, <laughs> teeth sparkly white, and contour on point. That's super impressive, and I need a quantum realm Sephora right now. Uh, a quantum realm Sephora one-shot right now. Scott's family made my heart warm just like the last time. It's clear Cassie is growing up to be more and more like Scott in personality and the hints of her wanting to be a hero were a great tiny Easter egg. With the actress playing her in Avengers 4 being significantly older, it makes me think we'll be getting a time skip where there are new Avengers like Stinger or as a stature. And there's going to be some time travel shenanigans like we've suspected. And it was so important to show his ex-wife and her husband so supportive of him. As a child of divorce, I appreciate that they gave us that dynamic. I think that's it. Maybe. All the jokes hit really well. Seeing the de-aging tech on Michelle Pfeiffer and Lawrence Fishburne gives me high hopes for Coulson and Fury and Captain Marvel. Did you guys catch Egghead in that movie? That was cool. Okay, that's all for real now. Eight out of ten. I would put it a big step above solid. 
Just eight more months to Captain Marvel. Take care as always. And no, we did not catch Egghead. Egghead is a villain, an Ant-Man villain. And in this movie, it was Ghost's father. And I didn't catch it. I had to hear about it later on. Okay. I, I'm not aware of who Egg, Egghead is, but okay. I, I'm cool. I, I think it's an Ant-Man villain. Now, I, uh, now I'm second guessing myself. Well, if it's not an Ant-Man villain, then write in to get your no prize um, by explaining how I'm not wrong, even if I'm wrong. But if I'm right, then it doesn't really matter. I'll look it up later. And if I'm right, I'll be happy for myself. If I'm wrong, I'll, I'll be kicking myself like a Chris Farley interviewing Paul McCartney. <laughs> so. Probably the most honest skit ever done on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Man, is that uncomfortable to watch? And yet, <laughs> and yet so good. <laughs> yeah, because everybody would be in the exact same situation. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're like professional interviewer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know that song where you say the love you, you the love you get is equal to the love you give? Is that true? Well, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I, I, I'm not quoting verbatim, but I'm I'm quoting as close as possible. So, but then the love you you the, I, I don't remember this. is equal to the love you make or something like that. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. But then when he does something, he's like, "Oh, stupid, stupid." I yeah. love Chris Farley <laughs> a little bit too much, and part of that might be because I've I've grown to look like him in face and stature, but yeah. All right. Well, that's an episode. Thanks, Samantha. Talk to you Thank later. You. Talk to you later.